Welcome to the Attentive Heart Podcast, where we explore how an integration of mind, body, and spirit make us whole and enable us to become more compassionate to ourselves and to others. I'm your host, John Grabovich. Today, my guest is David. Uh, David, we've known you for uh, some time here, uh, but I haven't seen you in from some time, so there's a lot to mm-hmm. catch up on here. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and what occupies most of your time these days? So, well, first of all, you can probably hear I'm English, although last Monday I actually became an American citizen. So, oh, wow. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, so I'm very happy about that. Um, I came to the U.S. 15 years ago. I came to the US to be artist in residence uh, at a Catholic college in New Hampshire. And there's a whole story about how I managed to discern that I was going to be an artist, which is I met somebody in my 20s and he helped me discern that. And that ended up also in my uh, committing to the faith, you know, changed my whole life. But so I came to the US back forward in time. um, And what I do now, I was there for seven years, and now I work for a university called Pontifex University, and uh, I wrote a book about um, being a, a, about sacred art and the training that artists got traditionally, um, and the research for that was done in order to train myself because I couldn't find a school to go to, mm-hmm. and I published a book called The Way of Beauty, and once that was published, I was approached and asked to design a master's course based upon the book. And so I created a Master of Sacred Arts program, which is a formation for people um, in any creative pursuit. It's really um, mimicking the formation that artists will have got 200 years ago, something like that, 250 years ago. Sure. Um, but but not the skills. There's a little bit of drawing, but it's mostly about um, giving a, an understanding of the, what the patterns of beauty are in the cosmos, how to dis, to develop an openness to inspiration, and so that God can guide us if He chooses to inspire us, mm-hmm. um, and how to harness that in pursuit of a particular skill. So it, it's done in the context of visual art because that's what I use it for and it's what I it's how I discovered this but I think it would work well for whatever you want to do you know entrepreneurial activity research science or just being creative in ordinary everyday activities um and so that's that's what I do professionally still uh, in my personal life I I made 60 and I got marriage married last July and uh, so I'm very happy. And I moved at that time from California, where I met you, mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, West Coast, mm-hmm. to Princeton, New Jersey, uh, to join my wife. Uh, she works here in Princeton. That's great. I mean, uh, you've had a very storied life. I know that. And uh, I love to unpack a little bit of that story. But uh, first off, you know, so much about the artist. So I, I think that a lot of times we think that only certain people can be defined as artists, but I would probably imagine that you would like to think of everyone as an artist in some way, shape or form. And that's what I think that the way of beauty 
the book and and kind of just the whole course that you kind of design wants to get at that we're all kind of participating ultimately in a work of art uh, which has been given to us by god and we each have a role in kind of participating in that in a unique way to to unleash a certain type of yes. beauty that comes from the source uh, well, so, so i mean like is that is that fair assessment or i mean or, or how would you define being an yes. artist and what that means to you the the artist i, I probably would use the that particular word in the way that most of us hear it you know it's somebody who paints mm -hmm. draws or sculpts mm -hmm. but um getting getting at what you're responding to what you're getting at in the question mm -hmm. i think that all of us are called to participate in some way in the creative work of God in redeeming the world. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Some are in conventional art, but in others, it can be in anything that we do. It, it can be just in the way that we carry out our lives. But there is a creative aspect. And, and creativity in this sense means I have an idea and I bring it to fruition. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. if I'm an entrepreneur, then I might do that. But even if I'm working in a in a business where I ha I'm not in a position to be an entrepreneur, there are ways in which I can think creatively. And one of the things that I'm convinced is that that is a, a crucial component for all of us in order to lead a joyful Christian life. Actually, sure. is to discover that element. And sure. it's different for different people. It'd be expressed in you, every person has a unique calling. So we can't say exactly where in your life you are called to be creative. But I believe everybody is. It's part of being human is to participate in in the redemption of the world. And it's the source of our joy. I think it's so in, in many ways. I've heard people say it's the when we do that, we are closest to sort of divine activity in manifesting ideas in material things. We don't create ex nihilo. I don't create the matter that I form, but I do form it. And right. that the manifestation of ideas, which if they're good come from God, is, is this is what we're called to do. And it's a source of joy and satisfaction. <clears throat> and the thing that st struck me when I discovered this process by which artists used to be trained, which um, really assumes this was that this is appropriate for anybody mm -hmm. um, and that also it's an aspect of education which is just about absent wherever you go mm -hmm. and I'm not just talking about the public school John Dewey sort of utilitarian mm -hmm. approach you know by which education is just to form you to be employable in in any way and really just to sort of carry out a function. I think even at many classical academies, many traditional schools that are trying to instill traditional values, which is a noble thing, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think still there's this attitude that it's about learning and developing the mind and that, that it isn't real education unless I'm able to write an essay or complete a test, that it's an intellectual pursuit. And that if you do art, for example, well, that's recreation, but it, mm -hmm. it's not really part of your genuine formation. And I would say that putting aside a significant amount of time 
not just the sort of the last period on Friday or something, for creativity is um, really needs to be introduced because once that happens, um, what it does, it, it's you develop that faculty for manifesting ideas. And then if you can, and so supposing I go to school, it just has a, an excellent art teacher and they teach and she teaches or he or she teaches us to draw very well. And I can then uh, be creative in that respect. I might, I still, I might, I might have a certain competence, but that might not be what I'm called to be. So what I need to do is to discover that calling. And that's where that the, the book that I wrote, The Vision for You, comes in, because I was given that direction 30 years ago by somebody as well. And we each need to discover what God is calling us to do. And then once you combine that with this formation to be creative, open to supernatural creativity, in other words, God-inspired, mm -hmm. then this is the source of joy. And this is what's going to draw others to us and to the mm -hmm. faith and give meaning to our lives, I think. Okay, yeah, so much so I'd like to talk about. First off, I, I, you're, you're totally onto something that makes sense and I think that resonates across the board and across the spectrum. I mean, I'm reading uh, this excellent book by the uh, American record producer Rick Rubin uh, called The Creative Act, A Way of Being, and it's a phenomenal book. And he's getting at the whole part here, first off, saying that everyone is an artist, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. Like, you know, you're an artist, even if you like have a creative way on how you get from work uh, on your commute, like if you figure out a way to kind of get from point A to point B, yeah. that's, that's, that's somehow, you know, creative. So, so everyone is creative. Uh, and, uh, and, and he just makes the argument that you made this, it's just that if, if you don't tap into that and see how that is you participating in something bigger than yourself, then you ultimately don't really find uh, joy in life because you feel as if sometimes the whole burden is on upon you to create your own happiness or your own life when rather we are always in a responsive mode to everything around us and how we respond to things and allow them to transform and change us brings us out of ourselves to see what is our role within it um which i think is you know what vision for you is talking about and how that and how that yeah. complements the way of beauty so much so before we go a bit further i, I just want to know a little bit more about this what you call like the traditional or the ancient technique of the process of the artist. Like what were some of the things that, that they would do and like what time period are we talking about here? Like what, what are you, what are you referring to when you talk about this process? Okay. The way, first of all, I'll just show tell you a little bit about how I discovered this. A lot of this is me drawing conclusions and trying to work something out mm -hmm. because I wanted, to, my question was not so much what did people do in the past, mm -hmm. it's how mm -hmm. can I do something similar in the present? So that I'm always, and, and if I discovered something new, <laughs> I didn't mind, but it seems a good idea to look at the past. So mm -hmm. the first thing I did was sign up for icon painting classes oh, because cool. this is a tradition that seems to be sort of well-established and working well. And then I also studied in Florence doing something called the academic method, which is um, a, a very rigorous way of naturalistic drawing and painting based upon methods developed in the in the Renaissance period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the academies were 
run by people like the Karachi brothers, Anabali Karachi, for mm -hmm. example, sure. and, and deliberately, you know, trying to invoke the, the, the memory of Plato and suggest that they were doing something divine in what they were doing, you know, mm -hmm. elevate, you know, reaching for ideals. And what I did when I learned these things, I was well taught, but I tried to look for common elements in the way that these two traditions, which sort of barely hung on, I mean, they just about had a continuous thread uh, with people at various stages trying to reestablish them over the, over the years. But I look for similarities in, in the teaching methods uh, because ultimately what I wanted to do was paint in a third style, which was the Gothic style, and there was nobody teaching that. So I thought I'm going to have to work out how to do this. So the, this, this is what I, I discerned. First of all, that a common element is that you, uh, in, in art, you copy old masters. So you, you look at a canon of great works and whatever it is you want to do, mm -hmm. and you just imitate them. You let them guide what you do. Then you... Uh, in art, you would look directly at nature, so the, the master there is God himself, you would say, the creator, mm -hmm. um, and that's, that is where you get a personal response, but you're trying to imitate nature, and the natural style that you develop develops from the old masters that you look at, so that the, the people in the tradition, so if I painted all the time uh, endlessly copied Superman and Spider-Man and superheroes, mm -hmm. and I did life drawing classes, I would then naturally start to paint people with bulging muscles in mm -hmm. strange, contorted, you know, powerful, you know, actions and gestures. Uh, because I, I would tend to do it in the way that the, the people that I imitated did. But in time, I would develop my own style. I would, within that tradition, I would start to express my own style and you sort of move beyond it. So that's that's how you, you learn the skills, but all, you learn the skills in conformity to a model that you're looking at. So even as you're learning to draw and paint, you're imitating. In other words, it's, it's being humble as you're doing it. You're allowing a, 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 an image to dictate what you actually, or what you see in front of you dictate. Then uh, there is an enculturation. Uh, so beyond what you actually study when you're drawing or painting, you learn about the culture and the history of those who've done what, you, what, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so you study the great masters, just in, in, and this is more in terms of appreciation rather than imitation. So you do that as well. And then you learn on top of that the milieu in which each of them emerged and why they painted as they did, and get an understanding of how style and form and content relates to the uh, to the times that they were in. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is to actually to start to understand the patterns of beauty, because if an idea comes from God, it's a it is good. Mm -hmm. I don't think this good comes from God with any idea I have. I believe, and so. When I'm trying to manifest it, there are certain what you might call rules of composition that guide me to, to help me to understand what I'm looking at or what my idea is. So in music, you learn the rules of composition. You learn the rules of harmony. Now, actually, there is a whole array of mathematics which 
uh, apply to space just as much and were used traditionally in architecture. They were used to uh, proportion paintings and drawings and for the placement of compositions. And so you, you learn that. And again, it's sort of a theory that underlies. You start then to see how others have used that in the past. But this also ultimately relates to the patterns and the rhythms and the motions of the cosmos. The, Effectively, the starting point for the mathematics of beauty is the observation of the beauty of nature mm -hmm. and trying to describe the relationships in nature in a, in a way that man can um, copy it, can reproduce them in his work, mm -hmm. with the, the assumption being that if, if these mathematical relationships underlie what I create, then it's effectively following the same pattern as the beauty of the cosmos and will reflect in itself um, with God's grace and the ability to the degree I can follow his inspiration, divine beauty. So the culture of man is seeking to be something that uh, speaks of God just as God's creation speaks of the creator. That, that's sure. the, the idea behind it. And so you analyze the, what is it that makes the cosmos beautiful um, and you would do the same to great works of the past as well as, as a model and then finally spiritual formation and of course this is one where you can't you really can't guarantee results you cut you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink so mm -hmm. nevertheless <clears throat> learning how to pray how to uh, especially liturgical prayer, and, and for that reason, the liturgy of the hours as a layman, something mm -hmm. that I can do all the time, is, is was emphasised very strongly. And this is a pattern of prayer, which again follows the pattern of the the cosmos. And when I'm praying in this uh, liturgical pattern, praying the Psalms, for example, uh, which is what I do, um, that that is. It's stimulating the imagination, but of course, I'm not just doing it as a as a detached observer who's interested in reenacting historical events that great artists did in the past. Mm -hmm. To the degree that it becomes my own prayer, and I really participate in it, it's forming me as a person to almost be a you know conform to that template myself spiritually. So just give an example of that, because I think that's just so fascinating. I mean, like, just based off of really everything you were just kind of outlining here, when you went to, say, the the course on writing icons, yeah. um, how did you start to see, first off, your own style emerge from that? Well, I know that that may, 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 may not be the best example, because I know there's there's very strict rules when it comes to iconography. But, I mean, how have you seen your life uh, something that, that – when you invested the time to really study what has tr proven to be good, true, beautiful, how that's actually revealed within yourself, your own unique style, your own unique contribution, and maybe even how that even dovetails nicely in your prayer life with how you see your own way of expressing praise to God through the recitation and chanting of the psalm. Does that right. make sense? I'm trying to get at here for you. Yeah. So one thing I would say is that the uniqueness just sort of happens. So it's mm -hmm. not contrived. Mm -hmm. That on the whole, what you're doing is 
responding you only change things in order to respond to a particular need so if something doesn't from the past doesn't meet the uh the need that i i um i'm trying to meet then i will i will develop something but mm -hmm. I, i'm just trying to think an, an example would be in the house that i now, now live you can see this art behind me it's not the best picture there mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. that's the sort of abstract rothko-esque painting now sure. we deliberately set this house up so that when you go in the front door the icon corner the prayer corner is the prominent thing you go in and there's a foyer there's an entrance hall mm -hmm. and you see the icon corner. that's deliberate we want people to be aware of that when they come in that has the most precise art and it's it's very clearly delineated iconographic or gothic style art mm -hmm. um, then as you move away into the other rooms you have um art that reflects the beauty of nature and but i don't want it to detract from the the icon corner i want it to be clear that that's the main focus so mm -hmm. i started mm -hmm. to paint art that is um what you might call very large canvases six feet by three feet filling the, the wall in colors they're they're landscapes but they're abstracted and, mm -hmm. and so they're evocative that you know you get a sense of clouds and hills and a field in the foreground mm -hmm. the colors i painted are designed really just to harmonize with the colors in the room um, because as much as anything i wanted to set a mood mm -hmm. uh, for the room so that you're comfortable and i wanted in some way to evoke the beauty of nature um, but in a way that is, puts you at puts you at ease and it's deliberately much more loosely painted slightly abstracted um so that uh the in a sense it's obvious that it isn't the main attraction it's a supporting player mm -hmm. and then the next step away from that is these rothko-esque abstracted uh canvases which mm -hmm. i just put in the room again the the, the main purpose of those is it's really just to be purely decorative but just to give a little bit of interest Mm -hmm. And I've embedded within that, that actually has uh, the, what's called the Boethius's De Arithmetica, a harmonic proportion. I've calculated the horizontal lines are all calculated according to these uh, mathematical relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I just put them in there. Now, anyone looking at that, I don't want people to look at that and think, ah, Boethius. I, if anything, I don't want people <laughs> even to notice it. I but wasn't I thinking that at all. Trust walk me. into the room and feel at ease because it's, sure. it feels like the colours are are beautiful and there's enough interest, so it doesn't seem bland. But I but I don't. It's they're deliberately painted so that you don't go and look at them. And what I would say is, unlike an abs, the, the, the what the idea of abstract expressionism is that you can actually paint pure emotion. You, you're abstracting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the expression of human emotion from the human person mm -hmm. i think that's flawed if i want to show joy the way i do that is show a joyful person because mm -hmm. the, the 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 you could you don't separate the two that's a that's a dualism so i'm not if anybody looks at these and say oh, i see profound insights into the nature of humanity i'd say well you're mad actually i don't, I don't <laughs> <laughs> so you know you're, making, you're certainly not what i intended 
but if you find it yeah. useful because the shapes are pleasing then that's good but there's this deliberately tiered structure of art like a sort of catholic feng shui or something mm-hmm. where where in every room also I, there's there is an icon there's a face of christ somewhere mm-hmm. but even if it's discreetly placed um so that that is the most precise piece of art in the room and everything else then is very obviously a supporting player even if it's much bigger and well, these mean, are ideas that I had, you know, I just thought this this seems to be the, the hierarchy of art. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, and all that you've explained is just, I mean, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, and it, it shows that, that you're very mindful of the space, mindful of what you would like visitors to your house experience. I mean, maybe even more importantly, what you uh, and your wife would like to be able to experience as you live there. So, I mean how we shape our surroundings is definitely going to be harmonious with our mood and how we at least intend to set our disposition. I hope you enjoyed Father John Gribowicz. He will be back as a contributing podcaster. Please share the Sunday to Sunday Witness podcast with your friends. And if you have comments, send them to me, Anne Mary at SundayToSunday.com. As always, this is Anne Mary Mullane coming from Kearney, New Jersey for Sunday to Sunday Productions. <laughs>